Hi, Stabley. Morning, Jerry. How are you? I'm well. How are you? Uh, well, uh, I am not even sure that I am, so I don't know. Okay. That's a bummer. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Stanley, uh, it's going to be a fun one today, I think. Okay. We, I'm looking forward to it. We are discussing, I guess, uh, The World Behind the World by Eric Hole. Um, Hoel, uh, H-O-E-L. Uh, what is the subtitle? I keep doing this to you. That's okay. Consciousness, free will, and the limits of science. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And this was your pick. And uh, it was very interesting uh, from what I could gather. Okay, yeah, I, mean, I agreed. Um, All right, so next week. <laughs> uh, so I... Uh, yeah, so I mean, I'm, I think I'm gonna have to kind of turn over the reins to you. Oh my god! Because um, I would have to say that this was probably the most challenging book that we've read for me. Okay. Yeah, I, not and not <laughs> challenging. I, how do I put it? Like this book was. Uh, so the analogy I was thinking about for this book is it's kind of like. Um, uh, I mean, bear with me. This is my torture analogy, but imagine some kind of like duck tour. Uh, oh, okay. Like the boat, like the boat car, right? Where yeah. and and it's taking you around, and the streets are very smooth, and it's a really nice, easy ride, and you're seeing all these amazing sights, and it's really cool. But then all of a sudden, you are off road, and it's very bumpy, and then it goes in the water, and it's rapids. Yeah, and then it goes off a uh, uh, waterfall. So, so I enjoyed like the first third, I guess, maybe mm -hmm. the first half even, um, I was following along and it was, um, uh, you know, making me, uh, think about a lot of things I, you know, I never thought about or it, it, a lot of new insights. And then I just, it became, uh, inscrutable. I have no idea what I read. I, I know I read the words, but I have no idea what the second half, what you, I mean, I, you know. I can pantomime it, but I don't think I understood what he said. Well, unfortunately, I'm kind of in the same uh, duck boat. Yeah. Holding on to you, Jerry. <laughs> Tightly. Height. Uh, so why don't we start by telling people what the book is about? Well, that's a good question. So yeah. um, <clears throat> I guess the, uh, the subtitle is pretty descriptive. Like, that's kind of what it's about. Consciousness, free will, the limits of science. Um, the order of the book is more like the limits of science and then it goes into consciousness and then it talks about free will kind of towards the end. Yep. Uh, very briefly. Um, so like you said, the first like third or half, it's almost like a, uh, it's kind of like a history of science but more specifically like, like a history of consciousness studies slash um, psychology and neuroscience. I don't know if you would agree with that. Um, like I think this, that's right, but the part yeah. of what makes it so interesting, it's kind of like a prehistory too, yeah. where it starts by, and we'll get to this, but it starts by talking about, did we always have even a conception of consciousness or, uh, you know, as humans, which is kind of like a weird thing to even think about. Um, but yeah, it's super interesting. Yeah, and it, uh, it's not just about science, it's about philosophy, you know, one would imagine, um, and literature, like a lot is made of literature in the beginning, and it's not really ever brought up again, uh, 
um right so, yeah so i i agree with you it was very interesting like you start reading it and you think it's going to be one of those um yeah i don't know like edge books right it's a um it's kind of a um not a takedown but maybe a a, a critical look at like neuroscience yeah. and yeah. The, the way that scientists and philosophers study free will and consciousness and and uh, it is know, that it, it is, is that, that yeah kind of yeah yeah <laughs> parts of it um you know, maybe a uh, like a uh, a response to people like Sam Harris saying, right, mm -hmm. uh, <clears throat> who don't believe that free will exists or even really consciousness. I don't know. He confuses me. Uh, so that's kind of how it starts. It is it is very interesting. Uh, lots of lots of you know, like all of these fields, like they're all run by stuffy old men wearing suits now. But like, if you dig back deep enough, there's a bunch of crazy people who are probably on drugs. Uh, <laughs> so. Um, you know, it starts off like you said. This discussion of like, did did human beings always like have like a self conception of themselves? Is do they have consciousness? To, were they aware of like their own minds and the minds of others? Um, apparently, some people used to think not, um, based on like textual readings of the Odyssey and the Iliad and <laughs> in other ancient literature. Um, and uh, probably not the case, right? It's just that we didn't people didn't have the tools to express. We yeah. yeah so so it's probably unlikely that we didn't have the conception of interiority mm -hmm. uh we just what we what we clearly didn't have uh was the um language to express mm -hmm. the concepts which is super interesting yeah and, yeah and you can tell this by, by reading ancient texts there there's a very very little um expression of the interior lives of people it's always mm -hmm. about what happened in the world yeah yeah, and so I mean, stepping back really quick to the, the very first chapter, humanity's yeah. two perspectives on the world. Yeah. Um, so th these are, as he defines them, the extrinsic perspective and the intrinsic perspective. For extrinsic, you can just kind of think science, right? Materialism. Yeah, materialism, um, science, um, like trying to figure out what's out there. Intrinsic, I uh, guess you could, well, I mean, he thinks that like the novel, the modern, well, I don't know, not like the most contemporary novels, but like the modern novel, um, circa like 1850 to 1950, that's supposedly the best um, tool for intrinsic analysis, uh, kind of looking inward, right? This is the study of what it means to be you, how it feels to be you, qualia, phenomenology, uh, all that stuff. <laughs> um, that's the intrinsic perspective on the world. And uh, like the point he makes is in the same way that like ancient Greeks like, obviously saw that like things fell down, they didn't have the science, they didn't have the language to like use, they didn't know what gravity was, <laughs> right? But right. they understood that like things fall down and maybe it's, you know, you come up with some cockamamie reason like Aristotle of like, it's in their nature to seek, you know, the earth or to seek falling down or whatever, whatever his explanation of uh, why things fall down is. Um, but presumably Aristotle, smart guy, he would, if he like opened up a, a textbook in like you know, high school physics, he would grok that, oh, okay, gravity, that's, that's, that's what's causing this. Um, and in the same way that, you know, we've uh, improved the way that we can discuss extrinsic phenomena, we've also improved the way we uh, discuss intrinsic phenomena. So th these things have always been there. Uh, it's just that like, we've uh, gotten better at talking about them um and you know he 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 makes i don't know to me a big case of like the novel being 
and just literature, say in general, as being um, like kind of the state of the art for yeah, he says, intrinsic. Yeah, go ahead. He says, "quote Novels are the ultimate expression of the intrinsic perspective." Right. Great. Uh, uh, you know, he kind of contrasts them to movies. And can I just say, I felt like he was, I felt like he kind of said, but then kind of backed away. I thought, I thought where this book was going was that he was going to say that we didn't have a, a ultimate, ultimate consciousness until the development of the novel. And he was going to somehow pursue that, but then he just kind of stops and you're right. Yeah, um, exactly. Uh, and yeah, he contrasts, he, he does not care for film, uh, well, which came I mean, after novels. What? I don't know if he doesn't care for it, right? He just thinks it's different. It's uh... no, he seems pretty pissed off. It. What he, okay, what he does not care about is that film took the place of the novel in the popular, uh, uh, you know, uh, world, and it was a big step back because unlike novels, it's impossible to, um, uh, you know, explain interior feelings and thoughts um, in film. You know, people have tried narration. People have tried you know winking at the camera or whatever like all kinds of different things subtitles and it just doesn't work and so when you look at a movie when you watch a movie mostly you're just you, you have to kind of guess what the what the characters are thinking um whereas with the novel they can, you know the author can tell you so yeah. to him it, the film is like a big step back yes yeah sure i don't know if he... exactly yes anyway um he, he even goes to, so far as to say uh, the rise of trauma as an explanation of human behavior just so happens to correspond with the rise of our dominant narrative art form, the, the extrinsic medium of film and its replacement of the extrinsic medium of the novel. So he's even, uh, you know, uh, blaming it for social ills. Like <laughs> people claim, you know, people think that, yeah, anyhow. Yeah. So anyway, he's a big fan of the novel, of, of the written word. Um, and he's a novelist himself, right? He is a novelist. Yeah. yeah. And um, so you're reading this and you think, oh, and he kind of makes these, um, he kind of puts these hints out there that like he, he has this theory of, of consciousness, right? And mm -hmm. it's going to like combine intrinsic and extrinsic. Yep. Um, and you think it has something to do with like novels or yeah, yep. of writing a novel or I don't know, they put people into an fMRI and they, they read War and Peace and whatever, right? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I'm, I'm kidding with this the last part there, but like you think it's going somewhere there that like he, he you know, and it doesn't at all, really. Um, novels kind of fall out of it. Um, literature kind of falls out of it. it um, in fact, the further well, along that, you go. Well, like I just, mean, yeah. Go ahead. No, go no, ahead. No. Well, just that at that point, so after, after he sets that up to yeah. be something, then we just turn to the next chapter. And the next chapter is about the extrinsic perspective. And um, basically it's it's about neuroscience. And it's saying, you know, well, the extrinsic perspective was invented by science, right? Galileo was the first to formalize it, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, but the science can't explain consciousness. And then he go and then he goes into neuroscience and how neuroscience is complete bunk. Like it, it's a it's it's a garbage field. Yeah. And so we've left a novel far behind. We yeah. never, to, never to be heard from again. Exactly. Yes. So it, uh, chapter three, the development of the extrinsic perspective, and then it just kind of stays with the extrinsic perspective for the next uh, eight chapters, right. basically. And uh, this kind of hinted at um, 
collab, right, between kind of consciousness studies and novel writing or just novels in general, uh, never happens. Uh, even towards the end, when he kind of comes back to, um, you know, he has the, the, the short chapter in Free Will, I'm like really sure, um, you know, the novel I, doesn't really make an appearance. No, yeah. Although by that point, I was so confused, so confused and scared. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it didn't really uh, matter. So, but okay, but okay, but you know, um, I you know, I've I've long kind of understood um, that science can't explain consciousness, um, which is a big problem uh, for science. Um, but the chapter on yeah, the chapter here, I thought it was very helpful for me to like understand in more detail um, how it is that it, science can't explain. Which uh, chapter was that? Uh, I think the extrinsic one. And then the neuroscience. I mean, it's basically. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> but it, sure, but it's, sure, it's, sure. it kind of begins at the extrinsic. Uh, mm -hmm. Galileo, you know, and he and he's got a Galileo. Basically, uh, another little note that I took. Um, he says the philosopher Philip Goff imagines uh, if Galileo traveled in time to the present day to hear what we that we are having difficulty giving a physical explanation of consciousness, he would most likely respond, "Quote: Of course you are." I designed physical science to deal with quantities, not qualities, right? And, and which is to say that Galileo would say, you're not supposed to use science to study the soul. Yeah, exactly. So, um, yeah, and so, and then most of the, the bulk of the book deals with, I guess, I mean, would you call it like consciousness research? It's not really neuroscience per se, well, right? The book is also so it's, it's funny, right? Because the book is so clearly he's a great writer, or a good writer at least. Mm -hmm. um, for, you know, for a scientist, he is a good writer. Um, sort of substacker, yeah. No. Yeah, is is he a substacker? <laughs> of course. Oh, I did not know that. Um, I, I never heard of this guy before. Um, so uh, he's on all the podcasts, Jerry. Is that right? Okay. Yeah. Um. So he. Um, <laughs> So he's a good writer, um, and it's, and and the book is a little bit kind of a, uh, implicitly autobiographical. Yeah. Um, and so, what what I kind of read into this is, so uh, he's fascinated with this um, topic, right? He, uh, you know, perhaps because of his interest in. Uh, fiction and, and the novel and, and that art form and all that, um, you know, that drives his interest. So he decides to be a neuroscientist, right? And so he, he wants to he wants to basically dedicate his life to under, to trying to come up with the scientific explanation of consciousness and square the circle. Um, and so apparently he becomes a neuroscientist and uh, uh, you know, and a good one at that. Um, but then he realizes that neuroscience is garbage and. Uh, you know, I thought that was very interesting too. Um, it's so, you know, I, I think that's worth recounting. You know that uh, he he gets you know he gets himself into he basically takes to task his um, own field for saying you're you know basically a Galileo thing, right? You're, you're you're basically trying to quantify things that are qualitative, and you basically are just doing this uh, from the outside. You're trying to explain from the outside something that can only be understood from the inside, um, and uh, you're just basically 
using um, correlations and statistics rather than studying the actual thing, right? Rather, right, rather than coming up with a theory of the thing that you can then test. Um, and so then he says, what neuroscience needs a revolution. Uh, and surprisingly, you know, not surprisingly, he, you know, he, he talks about, you know, his, his work is to try to spark that revolution that upends right. existing neuroscience. Yeah. And so, um, you know, like, I don't know, we probably should have mentioned, like, this is like, he has a PhD in, I guess he would, is it in neuroscience? Because what he goes to study is consciousness, right? He, I don't think he was working with people who necessarily like put people into fMRIs or did anything like that. Um, he, that's why he calls it like consciousness research, right? Yeah. Like that was his field. That's what he was interested in. He was kind uh, of, he's got a PhD in neuroscience yeah. from uh, University Wisconsin. of Wisconsin, Madison. Wow. Okay. Go Hoosiers. Uh -huh. I'm kidding. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so yeah. Um, anyway, like he, he, he told a little vignette about how, um, um, you know, he was going to, you know, he wanted to go and study under this specific guy at Madison, uh, only this person. Right. And, um, and this person is like a leading, uh, I don't know, scholar thinker in consciousness studies. He has a model that he's been working on for many, many years. Um, there is a very, like, this is all kind of towards the first half of the book. There's a lot of very entertaining, I don't know, reporting, science writing about the growth of like consciousness studies. This is kind of after he <laughs> throws neuroscience, like the guys with the machines kind of into the gutter saying like, you don't even know what you're looking at. It's, the field is just full of like, not necessarily outright fraud, but, um, just like, unreplicable shit and stuff. Yeah, is, nothing can be replicated. It's all basically like there's a, a funny story of like somebody put a dead fish into an yeah. MRI and yeah. they got it and they like got like neurons firing or something. I don't know. I'm sure that also I, needs to be replicated itself, but that was uh, <laughs> uh, that's probably not a good sign, right? Uh, <laughs> and so you know he you know he thinks that like this revolution, the thing that will fix neuroscience is to treat consciousness seriously. Um, you know, there, there are sections in the book where he talks about how, you know, a lot of people will just deny that consciousness even exists, uh, which is like a, a great move, I guess. If you want right. to like kind of simplify things. You can just say like, well, that's not a real thing. So like, I don't have to go through the, the trouble of studying it. I'm just going to do voxels and um, scans of people's brains and, you know, we're, we're fine. Um, so he wants to, you know, he thought, no, this needs to be taken seriously. I'm going to go to the, like, kind of the few people that actually study this sort of thing. And that's where he starts his research, uh, research program at Madison. And the interesting thing is, like, not only does he kind of poo-poo neuroscience, right? You get the impression that he doesn't think that the, the work that he did and, like, the PhD that he kind of got actually led, like... I guess he changed track kind of halfway through, but he seems to imply that like a lot of this work can't, even this can't explain consciousness. Right. People are still kind of looking in the wrong place and um, it's just not, you know, it's just not going to work. Like, <laughs> I mean, he, I don't know if he got his PhD yeah. guy's permission to talk this way, but like you do get the impression that yeah. he became very jaded very quickly with, like the stuff that he was working on. I, yeah, exactly. I think he knew neuroscience, conventional neuroscience was bunk. And so there's a very particular, uh, you know, theory first um, uh, abstract approach that he wanted, that he thought was 
the way. And you're right. Although he doesn't quite say it, you definitely get the the feeling that he's like, it isn't going to work either. Yeah. So he's very respectful. And he, yeah. you know, he, this is kind of where, um, I guess, the duck car started like falling yes. through the ravine. Correct. Where, um, you know, so he, this is the, so he starts talking about the things that he studied as a PhD student, uh, the papers that he wrote, the research that he worked on. And, you know, he gets very, very in the weeds and very specific and kind of technical and jargony about everyone's favorite topic, consciousness, which is our, which is already kind of like, you start using words that mean one thing in normal life and they mean other things in, in science. Um, that's kind of hard to track. But then he also, at the same time, like he's kind of working on parallel paths. There's a lot of talk about like how science itself. Yeah. Right. The extrinsic point, the extrinsic point of view, right? The extrinsic, extrinsic perspective is like kind of fatally flawed. Like it's, um, you can't learn everything about the world from this perspective, which right. is kind of what most scientists maybe naively believe, or at least pretend to believe that like, we will figure everything out. Uh, that includes consciousness by using, you know, the methods of science. Um, and um, at the same time that he's explaining like the different research that he's done, other people did, he is kind of dipping back into like the, like the philosophy of science that says like, no, you, you actually can't. Uh, which makes it even harder to read, <laughs> if you ask me. Yeah, and Descartes. Uh, yeah. So that that's like the last, I don't know. <laughs> that's as far as of the book. you can understand, yeah. yeah. Uh, you know, it, it, like you said, you can kind of like, if I took like careful notes and memorized stuff, I could like parrot this stuff back. Right. And I, I kind of like, kind of understand what he was saying, but like not to the point of like, you know, you would humiliate yourself in front of anybody that knows what they're talking about if you tried. Correct. Which is probably true of most books I've read on WAP, but this especially, um, because he got uh, he get, he gets so deep in the, the weeds and the details. And uh, I'm sorry, there was math <laughs> involved. <laughs> you, you attacked me earlier this week about it. Um, there was there, some, were, there yeah, was I'll, arrows. There were a lot of equations, a lot of Greek no, letters and there arrows. Were, there were no equations. There were equations. <laughs> kind of, I guess. There were equations. There were arrows. There were circles. I mean, you're a you're a computer guy. You're a hacker. I thought this stuff would make sense to you. No, that's oh, not how well. What a fraud. Uh, anyway, <laughs> so um, yeah, it, it's like a, a big chunk of the book is kind of picking apart these theories of consciousness that he thought he would work on, I guess, as a career, um, and showing where they're flawed, uh, and at the same time talking about how it's not just that like these guys aren't smart enough or, you know, we need more time. It's that um, it's possible that this is just one of those topics where you're not going to learn everything. Like you just can't. Um, science can't teach you everything you need to know. Uh, it's just not possible. So, um, yeah. And <laughs> like you said, this is the duck car. It's like, it's falling off the, the mountain. Uh, <laughs> it got very hard for me to understand, like, you know, it, it's it's not exactly like PhD level like philosophy or anything being done here, but it's no, he, he, it's, he's it's trying, pretty close. He's trying very hard to make it for a popular audience, but yeah, like, sorry, like uh, yeah, like yeah, I think you need to sit down like, if you were uh, if you were interested in this sort of thing, um, you probably want to sit down and like read this very very slowly, 
And this book is short. And the book is short, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it packs a wall. But like if you are into this sort of thing, get your get your piece of paper and pencil and whatever and like just really think through. Yep. Uh, I don't think it's like this is not an airport book. This is for people no. that like are uh, very logical, clear thinkers who can kind of keep multiple concepts in their head at the same time. But it's so funny that the, isn't <laughs> the first half of the book approaches an airport airport book. It's a it's breezier. Yeah, it, it's it's like a like, popular science book. Right. Correct. And it's just it's so it's just it's such there's such a disconnect. Um, and I, I noticed noted in the Amazon reviews that people are basically saying the same thing. Like this book has like a three point five star average on Amazon, which is a shame because you know, I don't think it's a bad book. Um, but people are basically saying like uh, you know, like the first half is great, but then I but then you know, I I didn't get the rest or whatever. Um, yeah, uh, maybe just about a little bit more meat on the bones of why he thinks science can't, I, I, I guess, yeah, maybe we shouldn't even try to, <laughs> to recount it, but what did you think? I mean, so, um, I, you know, the, the idea that science is incomplete and I, I guess I hadn't known that it's, it's well established that math Mathematics isn't isn't complete. It must be incomplete. That yeah, that it can't be. There's like there, there's some proof that shows that it can't be ever completed. You can't complete the system of German idealism. <laughs> no, German that idealism. You, oh, that you can't complete. Okay. Oh, it's coming. Don't worry about it. Uh, yeah. So there's a. Uh, I guess it's Gödel's theorem of incompleteness, and it's this famous. I don't know what he is. I think he's some sort of Germanic um, Kurt Gödel who came up. This is like one of these like brilliant people in the start of the 20th century that you know probably all got gassed in World War II. Right. Um, and um, yeah, so he, he's like a super super duper genius guy. And I can't follow. I, I watched a YouTube video about how he came up with this argument, and it's you know again you have to be a super genius. Uh, but the basic idea is that he proved that uh, mathematical systems are incomplete, meaning that they can't explain everything. Um, uh, they can't explain everything within the system itself. I don't know. It, you'd have to like read a real definition of it. Yeah. yeah. Um, and he used like a proof by um, contradiction to, do, to, to, to show it. Right. Um, and it's very interesting. Like there are YouTube videos that kind of explain how he did it. It's, it's crazy. <laughs> It's, it's actually nuts that people think of this stuff, but yeah, I mean that's the idea. Is is like, um, and it's like a shock to mathematicians, right? Because the idea is you just, you just need to use the system that mathematicians use. It's just proofs, logic. Um, you know, you, you obviously have your axioms and stuff, but like if you, that's all you need. That's yeah. to prove anything. And given the uh, time, not prove anything, will... but like yeah. to, to say like this is this is proven or this is not proven. Um, and enough time and enough brain power or computing power, you can you can tackle these things. Um, and he showed that, like, no, you actually can't. And um, I guess the claim of the book is that in the same way that math is incomplete, uh, science is incomplete. It can't prove everything. Or, yeah, it cannot prove everything by using the science. Like, basically, you can't prove everything using the scientific method. And so he's got that argument, and then he's got a separate argument about scale that I didn't understand how they fit together. But this, I also found the scale thing super interesting, which is 
um, there's a you know there's mac there are macro scales and micro scales, right? So uh, like when you're when you're studying the body, you can study the cells, but you could also study the organs, or you could study uh, society, uh, you know, uh, epidemi epidemiology or whatever, right? So they're different. Well, that one's that one's fake. Well, yes, yes, yes. <laughs> I, I had to come up with a third. Yeah. Um, uh, so you can, uh, so there are different scales. So what is the natural scale to study something, right? And he, and then he talks about um, superven supervention, I guess. When so the macro scale supervene on the micro scales, which means something. It means that um, one can cause the other, but the other can cause the other. I, I have no idea. But the point is, he gives like a, the extent, the, the example of temperature um, as a macro scale. So when you say Oh, your body temperature is you know ninety whatever degrees, or the temperature in uh, uh, Washington is uh, you know seventy five degrees. Um, what you're saying it, it's, it's you're looking at it at a particular scale. It doesn't mean that every square millimeter of your body is that temperature, or that every square millimeter of Washington D.C. is seventy five degrees, right? Like it's right. You're just taking like a um, and so. You know what he says, and I got a quote here. He says, uh, "The existence of no, um, where the hell was it? I lost it." But the point is, is that uh, if you're using the wrong, um, oh, here it is. Sorry, scientists failing to describe the brain at its most natural scale surely would explain a lot. It would mean that we neuroscientists have been observing and intervening on the brain in ways that aren't very meaningful to behavior or even perception. So that we might be looking at at the mind on a completely wrong scale, and maybe that the tell me if this is right, but that the the right scale to look at look at look at from is unavailable to us. Um, I don't think he says that. Right? Okay. He says that. So there's. This whole chapter, it's very it's like the longest one, I think, right? Is like he this is maybe what his research was actually on. Yeah. Like um because this this discussion of scales and stuff leads into his theory of um like causal emergence. Mm -hmm. Right. And I think it's the idea that so like the micro oh, right, yeah, right yeah. the micro scale, it's not just like, oh, you you're just looking at like one square foot of DC, not the whole thing. It's the idea is like, well, you're not even, you're not just looking at that. You're looking at like atoms bouncing off of each other, right? That's like the real micro scale is atomic and subatomic particles and temperature is the macro scale. But like, it, you know, you have to realize that like you're, you're, you're compressing the information that you have at the micro scale to get, um, to get temperature. Um, so I think his idea is that um, you can't, uh, knowing everything at the micro scale, which I guess is kind of the claim of materialism, right? And, and science in general, like if we it's just if we just figure it out, if we yeah. just track every every atom, every chemical reaction, every stimulus that you have, blah blah blah, we can come up with <laughs> we can come up with uh, what it means to be you, to feel like you at this moment, right? The quality of mm -hmm. it. Mm -hmm. um, and I guess his claim is um, you can't because um, consciousness is emergent. Not like Hayek necessarily, but he doesn't talk about Hayek, right? Um, but it's his idea of um, you, you, it's, more, it's more than the sum of its parts. 
right? That's 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 his like theory of consciousness that it's it's more than the sum of all of these micro scale phenomena. Um, and he just spends a really long time going, okay. which is fair enough. Like I think he wrote like papers on this, so um, he wants to be very detailed about it. But that's that's what I took from it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, like I'll be damned if I can actually explain it. Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. Um, okay, well. And then he talks about free will and he has a very short last chapter where he basically says, Hey, cheer up. Um, hey, <laughs> uh, did you feel like it followed? Like basically Not what he's saying really. is because, because it, what he was able to quote unquote prove what he, the argument that he made throughout the book is that you can't ultimately understand consciousness using science. Therefore you can't, prove that we have no free will or that we do right so then the last chapter kind of just basically says cheer up if you can't prove it you might as well act like you have it or believe that you have it which you know is basically how i live my life i didn't need all this to, to tell me that <laughs> okay sure <laughs> <laughs> but uh is that what he says i had a hard time with that i am not really sure what what yeah i'm not really sure um yeah, it's. Uh, yeah, I think it, it. I think it has something to do with the whole causal um, um, causal emergence. Yeah. Right, and just like the whole idea of not like, again, like his point is not that we haven't yet proven that free will doesn't exist. Is that I don't know how many negatives that is, <laughs> but yeah, I, I think his idea is like there's no way to use science to prove these things. You just right. can't, right? Or yes. I mean, we we have to maybe address that possibility, and um, everything else, or not everything else, but a lot of the, a lot of the anti free will arguments are just hand waving and kind of like changing the the definitions and changing the topic, um, and you know people need to address the fact that like well it's possible that you can't measure every electron and determine that there's no free will. Um, so we get, but uh, there's a lot of like interstitial tissue missing, right? Between like the different sections. And we were getting to the review. Like I didn't really understand how he went from his previous chapter with the one about scale to free will. And mm -hmm. I thought maybe like there would just be more like, you know, sinew connecting the two. Uh, and I thought maybe, oh, this is where the, like the, all the novel stuff will come in, and it didn't really. Uh, mm -hmm. So yeah, I'm not even really sure like what his argument is. I guess you say it's like we can't prove it, therefore act like it exists. Well, he doesn't quite say that, but he sure. basically he basically shows that that's what William James that that is how William James overcame his uh, depression, right? So I, I think by highlighting that, I think he's implicitly endorsing the the view and it based and he says and he literally says and william james was able to figure this out you know 150 years ago uh without any of this garbage that i just went through yeah sure right mm -hmm. yeah i guess so here's a section i i, I highlighted so one what he, he kind of tries to debunk debunk fatalism right right so there's like one that's one of the arguments against free will is is the fatalist critique i guess and he says like well that's not that's not really it doesn't it's not as like smart as people think it is. Like it doesn't really work. And then he says, putting aside the case of logical fatalism, uh, the other conditions we've overviewed allow us to give a sketch of what a scientific definition of free will looks like. Having free will means being an agent that is causally emergent at the relevant level of description. 
for whom recent internal states are causally more relevant than distant past states and who is computationally irreducible. Now, we cannot know for sure, but it is very likely, in my view, that the human brain satisfies these conditions, particularly if we do live in a fundamentally uncertain world. And while the conclusion of scientific incompleteness is speculative, it would entail that we do, that we do indeed live in such an uncertain world. So, so like, I, so I also, uh, uh, you know, you've been seeing this all the time. Hi highlighted that exact okay. same <laughs> thing, but I can't tell you what it means. Yeah, I mean, I think it's like his attempt to pull in the. Last... I know, what, I know what each of those parts are. Uh -huh. In a way, I guess. Yeah. Go on, go on. Sorry. Yeah, yeah. This is like uh, the Simpsons. <laughs> Lisa says about the oh, yeah. yeah, who's serious? Like, I know what those words mean, but I don't understand <laughs> what the phrase is. Um, I mean, I guess, you know, I guess, you know, he's just saying that I spent the entire book proving, for example, that maybe, what does he say? The, the universe is, is uncertain, right? Because of scientific incompleteness. Mm -hmm. Let me pull it up. Uh, yeah, scientific incompleteness. So again, it's a speculation. It's his theory. It's his idea. But if it's true, then we live in an uncertain world. So like that means everything isn't just determined. Uh, and the other stuff, like you know, causally emergent at the relevant level of description. This is his talk about. Um, oh God, what are they called? Uh, scales, right? Mm -hmm. That. Um, Yep. You like, yeah, we can't actually predict. Yeah. Like, you know, if we could actually predict exactly what you're going to do based on, you know, chemicals and atoms and subatomic particles and whatever and galaxies smashing into each other, then obviously, like, you don't really have free will because we can predict exactly what you're going to do. We can't. Uh, it's emergent. Um, and, you know, those two things together, I guess, is what allows them to say, like, um, right. yep. you know, the, the human brain is computationally computationally irreducible therefore free will <laughs> i guess um and i think you know he does kind of like he he does try to rule out just like everything is just dominoes falling since the big bang right um i guess that's the argument for free will uh, i don't know uh i wish this book <laughs> i wish the book was like longer maybe uh <laughs> like it needs more it means it needs more padding for stupids right like i need yeah, yeah. like more lines and like uh, more hand holding to get from one one place to the other um yeah but i guess that is the claim but again it kind of comes out of kind of comes out of nowhere in a way like there is some discussion of i guess there's some discussion of free will in the previous chapters but a lot of it is very focused on like these specific theories of consciousness, um, his theory of um, causal emergence, they're very like, not esoteric, like, but they're very like, um, they're very specific areas of like scientific research. Um, and I, I wish there was more like broadening things out and making more connections in those chapters, just like mm -hmm. kind of leading, leading me and the stupid along. It's like, this is the destination and like it would make things cohere a little bit better because it was just very difficult. Uh, yeah, uh, it's to kind of follow it, at least for me. Um, so, yeah, yep, completely agree. Um, I one thing I, that, I also assume this is like somewhat controversial and like not mainstream. Right. Right. So um, 
I don't know. I mean, which is fine. Like you're allowed to, to you're allowed to write a book, I guess. Yeah. Um, just you you won't be surprised to hear me say that. Um, I wish he had uh, delved more into Eastern philosophy, which he like mentions, like just like maybe he's got like a line. Um, uh, you know, and, and just like the Eastern way of thinking about. Uh, or the Buddhist in particular way of thinking about um, being and, and, and consciousness. Um, because I'd I like to know what he thinks of just the fact that if you if you pay attention to your consciousness, you'll soon discover that you're not doing anything, that everything that you think you're doing is just actually happening, but it's not, you're not doing any of it. So how does he, you know, how does he explain that? I, I guess he would, he kind of says like, you could be looking at like a black blank canvas yeah and um you would at least notice yourself noticing yeah or um like changing where you're looking where your eyes are going like the uh, yeah so like this is a very like anti not an anti sam harris or anti um right bob, bob wright book but like i think it's a completely different perspective right so like yeah he does believe that consciousness is real and um but consciousness is real. I don't think they deny consciousness. I just well, I mean, I guess I, the self, I mean, right? Sam Sam Harris definitely uh, denies free will, right? Or this the idea of the self, uh, right? Well, yeah, yeah. yes, yes, yes. Um, yeah, I guess I, I I would like to see those things. I would like to see somebody try to reconcile those things, right? Like. Because again, it's a fact that you can discover for yourself if it's just introspect um, that you're not doing anything. Uh, like, what would he say to that, right? Like, I'm sure he's got a, you know, a clever explanation for that. So I don't know. No? Yeah, I guess he would. He would probably say like, you noticing that you're not noticing anything is you noticing something, <laughs> right? Uh, yeah, I, he, I, I didn't highlight the section, but he does kind of address that, like, even when you're when you think you're completely like zonked out. But, that, or but that's just. Or, but hold on, but that's just your consciousness. That doesn't mean you have free will. And again, we're not denying consciousness; we're just denying free will. In, right. In, in the Sam Harris. Yeah, but like, I don't. I don't yeah. think he would say like just because you're noticing things means you have free will. It may. He would maybe say at least it proves that you have a self. Right. But, but again, I, like but, these but, are but like. A, yeah. Yeah, yeah. 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 Okay. Yeah. yeah. Hmm. <laughs> we'll get them together. We'll, uh, uh, Bohemian, Bohemian. what's the thing all the Republicans go to? Bohemian, Bohemian Grove. We'll do, oh, yeah, Bohemian Grove. Yeah. We'll do a very special, um, ticketed, uh, podcast taping. Yeah. Clarence Thomas can, can, can make the judgment. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right. Well, uh, I think we've exhausted, I, I hope we haven't exposed our ignorance. Oh come on! I'm totally ignorant. This but was, if this nothing was... else, we we've shown our honesty, right? Oh sure, okay, that's very poetic. Okay, did you um, read that somewhere? No, no. Just see that note the just, back just... of a DVD case. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, we're we're kind of like Forrest Gump. Oh totally. With this stuff, it's well, um, it's beyond my ken. Like <laughs> it's um. You know, I thought I thought you would get it more than I do, just because you're you're so adept. No, 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 machines. I, no, no, no. I I think um, 
I think like a lot of people, I think I have a deeper than average uh, interest or maybe dare I say, if not understanding, you know, just knowledge about that kind of stuff. But it, it's very, you know, it's not it's not deep at all. Right. It's it's just enough to get me by um, uh, make you know, just make sure the Sisyphus is happy. Yeah, sure. Yeah. Okay. Uh, yeah. Uh, so, would you recommend this book? Uh, let's see. I um, unlike maybe our next book, it's again, not, it's not an airport book, and I don't even think it's like a casual sit down and read it. I mean, um, if you want to, you, you can ease into it because the first few chapters are are pretty breezy. But I think you you probably want to be interested in these topics. Um, but not at a kind of wishy-washy like book club, wine club type of way, but you know, you know, like really get into the nitty-gritty of like consciousness research and even like I guess yeah, you want to know maybe like how real smart people who do real research think about these things. Um, if you're that person, uh, I think yeah, I think it's a good book for you. Um, you know maybe smarter than I am, you don't have to sit down for a long time and think things through. Um, but yeah, if you're like precocious and want to learn more or you're really interested in these topics, then uh, I think it'd be worth your time. It's also like, you know, it's not 800 pages long. Yeah. Uh, he doesn't really waste a lot of time. He, yeah. uh, it could have gone in a direction of like, I'm going to throw in a little story about my life every, every, you know, five pages and he does not really do that. Um, and when he does, it's, it's connected to what he's talking about. So, uh, I, you know, a, a qualified recommendation, I say. <laughs> um, There's no yeah. white album. No. <laughs> <laughs> I would not recommend this book for just like a general audience. Uh, sure. Right. So, yeah, I guess if you are a neuroscientist or have some kind of very deep um, interest, uh, I would also say that for uh, students who might are thinking of getting into neuroscience, I would definitely recommend this book. Uh, just to you know, or even even science, people who are you know young people are looking to get into science. You know, like I, the one thing I liked most about this book was basically the scales, as it were, uh, falling from his eyes uh, left and right throughout his <laughs> okay. throughout his uh, journey. Uh, that was kind of neat, right? Um, yeah, and I mean, it might also be a good example of what doing research like this actually looks like. Yeah. Right? Because a lot of times you pick up a, like a New York Times, uh, the lying New York Times, and they'll tell you like, oh, there was this research done about consciousness, and it turns out that X, Y, Z. And then you, you know, you're never going to read the actual paper, but he, you know, he kind of shows you what these, what this research looks like. And it's a lot of like kind of thought experiments and like, you would never know that this grand, you know, pronouncement about like free will and consciousness and existence comes from like these weird looking, very technical, like almost like electrical system diagrams. I'm not saying it's all like that, but like, yeah, it's like, here's like kind of the boring nitty gritty of what this kind of research looks like. And it's probably a good idea to maybe like, oh, this is what I'm getting myself into. Right. right. Um, or just like as a corrective that like people don't just sit there and like throw a thousand people into an fMRI mach machine and it's like, oh, consciousness, there it is. <laughs> it's like, you know, 
it, it's both very thoughtful and kind of dull if you're not really into it. Um, so again, you know, yeah, you really, you really have to be into this sort of stuff, yeah, yeah. From whatever from whatever direction you're coming at at it. All right. Well, Stanley, um, speaking of correctives, uh, uh, for, for next time, uh, my pick, uh, something light and airy, uh, but hopefully uh, will be fodder for discussion, uh, 4,000 Weeks, Time Management for Mortals by Oliver Berkman. Are you excited? Do you have uh, the time to read it? I, I hope so. I'm visiting a friend soon. Oh yeah, yeah. Um, oh, this is wonderfully short. It's short. It's yeah. uh, popular, so well. An airport book. An airport book, as it were. Yeah. All right, Stanley. All right, Jerry. Fun as always. <laughs> of course. <laughs> See you next time. All right. Bye. Bye.